Which passenger is Joe Salucci? 16C, why? He's carrying a bomb. A bomb? No, not a ba, a bomb. Attention, ladies and gentlemen, please. Would everybody move to the lounge who is not carrying a bomb? <laughs> Hello, divers. Welcome to the only FDA-approved vaccine for boredom, the Deep Dive Microcast. The motion picture industry is just that, an industry, a commercial enterprise, a business. It's an art form, yes, but make no mistake, movies are expected to turn a profit. A few bad box office performers can have a huge effect on the fortunes of a movie studio. It can result in Hollywood executives losing their cushy jobs and directors losing their entire careers. There are those extra special films, however, that hold an honored place in film history. Flops so bad, so expensive, and so despised by audiences that they cause the studio to go bankrupt altogether. That's our topic this week. Blockbuster bombs next on the Deep Dive Microcast. What constitutes a true box office disaster? It's more than just poor box office results. It typically has little to do with negative reviews from critics. Good and even great films have done poorly in theaters. Movies that many would consider to be terrible have made lots of money. Just take a look at Adam Sandler's filmography. It takes a perfect storm of mistakes, missteps, and bad decisions to craft a movie that really bombs. The films I'm referring to, though, have one special ingredient that separates them from the rest of the duds. Myopia. In other words, an inability to recognize a disaster in the making and instead going all in to such a degree that there is no way to put on the brakes and avoid a train wreck. There are a number of examples of films that flopped so badly that they essentially destroyed the movie studio that produced it. One of the first of these may come as a surprise to you. Yes, it's wonderful news. For when all these wonderful people get into the swim, it's a wonderful life. For never before has any film contained such a full measure of the joy of living, the drama of living, and above all, the glorious romance that makes this such a wonderful life. That's right. Perennial holiday favorite, It's a Wonderful Life died at the box office when it was released back in 1946. How could this happen? This is a film that is beloved by just about everyone. Well, as I said before, sometimes that doesn't matter. After the end of World War II, legendary director Frank Capra started his own production company, Liberty Films. Their first production was It's a Wonderful Life. By all accounts, however, the production itself was far from wonderful. The original budget was, for the time, a massive $2 million. Numerous script changes, an unusually long shooting schedule, and oddly enough, the copious amounts of fake snow needed for the film nearly doubled the original budget. There was also an issue of timing. Another 1946 movie, The Best Years of Our Lives, was released only weeks before It's a Wonderful Life. The two movies could not have been more different in tone. 
Best Years was a serious three-hour drama about three American soldiers and how they coped with post-war life. It's a Wonderful Life, on the other hand, was a more nostalgic film, looking back at an America before the war. Audiences weren't quite ready for that and instead flocked to the best years of our lives instead. In its initial theatrical release, It's a Wonderful Life didn't even make enough money to recoup its production costs. Soon after that, Liberty Films was sold off to Paramount Pictures. Fun fact, the reason that It's a Wonderful Life is a perennial holiday favorite is primarily due to a clerical error. The film went into the public domain in 1974 when someone forgot to apply for an extension of the copyright. So TV stations could run the film constantly during the holidays and not have to pay for it. Merry Christmas. Fast forward to 1994. Upstart production company Carol Co. Pictures was riding high. They had produced the incredibly successful sequel to The Terminator, the Schwarzenegger hit Total Recall, and the controversial thriller Basic Instinct. But the heads of Carol Co. were about to make two very costly mistakes. The first had to do with a project that already cost over $10 million before even one frame of footage was shot. Carol Co. was producing a big-budget epic starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as a peasant caught up in the Christian Crusades during the Middle Ages. The film was called, simply enough, Crusade. There was a cast, a director, and a $100 million budget. I'm sorry, what? You've never heard of it? Well, that's probably because it never got made. No one could guarantee that the film would actually stay on budget, especially director Paul Verhoeven, who also directed Total Recall and Robocop. They had already spent a fortune in pre-production, and to avoid a bloated, costly mess, ultimately pulled the plug on the project. That was mistake number one. When you think of successful movie genres over the past several decades, you typically think of action films, romantic comedies, gripping dramas, etc. One that doesn't really come to mind right away, pirate movies. Aside from the Pirates of the Caribbean films and maybe Steven Spielberg's revisionist Peter Pan story Hook, you'd be hard pressed to name a really popular modern swashbuckler movie. And that brings us to mistake number two from the director of Cliffhanger. Here she comes. No! And Die Hard 2 comes the action-adventure event of the season. Open fire! I love this! I love it! Cutthroat Island, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, December 22nd. 1995's Cutthroat Island, a movie that had everything going against it and still managed to be a huge disappointment. The film was supposed to be a cheaper alternative to the budget-busting crusade. That was not to be the case. Everything that could go wrong with the film did. The director, Rennie Harlan, was a hot commodity after directing Die Hard 2 
and Sylvester Stallone's homage to Vertigo, Cliffhanger. Harlan insisted that his then-wife, actress Gina Davis, be cast in one of the two lead roles. Michael Douglas was set to play the male lead, then quit when he discovered his co-star got more on-screen time than he did. After a slew of other actors declined the role, including Keanu Reeves and Tom Cruise, the director settled on well-known action superstar Matthew Modine. And it got worse from there. Script problems, production delays, and in the true spirit of the pirate movie, a mutiny among the crew caused the budget to balloon well past the $100 million mark, more than the original crusade budget. Even though all the signs pointed to Cutthroat Island being a massive disaster, the studio heads were committed and there was no turning back. Almost no one involved with the production believed it would do well at the box office. And they were right. In fact, the executives at Carolco Pictures were so certain of the film's inevitable failure, they declared bankruptcy weeks before the movie ever got to theaters. As expected, Cutthroat Island sank like Blackbeard's ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge. It made a dismal $10 million at the box office and was pulled from theaters after only a few weeks. It would be Carolco Pictures' last film. A century ago, three movie stars banded together to form a company that would allow them to make films on their own terms, not the studios. That company was United Artists. The company had endured decades of change in the film industry and managed to survive and even thrive, making classics like West Side Story, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. United Artists was a well-respected brand that had a reputation of allowing the artists freedom to bring their unique visions to the big screen. Much of the time, it was a winning formula. And then came Heaven's Gate. It has been called the most controversial motion picture of its time. It is the most talked about and written about film of the decade. Now, from the director of The Deer Hunter, United Artists presents Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. The story of Jim Averill. He was born into the world of the rich and powerful, but his heart and dreams were with the people. Heaven's Gate. The story of a man's love for a woman, for a people, for a land, for a spirit that would never die. Chris Christopherson in Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. Director Michael Cimino, coming off the success of his bleak, unsettling Vietnam War movie, The Deer Hunter, was given free reign by United Artists to film his next epic. The film was about a different war, a land war between homesteaders and cattlemen during the late 19th century. A notorious perfectionist, Chimino wielded his authority like a dictator, having elaborate sets built only to have them destroyed and rebuilt when they didn't meet his exact specifications. As a director, Chimino was also fond of shooting many takes of the same scene, sometimes up to 50 takes just to get one shot. By the time production was over, he shot more than 220 hours of footage. 
The production apparently cost United Artists around $200,000 a day just to keep things moving along. At one point, the movie was so far behind schedule, United Artists considered firing Chimino and installing another director to finish the film. When it was all said and done, the film's budget was four times the original estimate. Chimino presented United Artists with a finished film that ran almost five and a half hours long. The studio was incensed. There was no way they could release a film that long. Theaters would refuse to run it. Audiences wouldn't sit through it. Chimino managed to cut the film's length down to just over three and a half hours. Finally, the film had a release date in November of 1980. A year late, well over budget, and already getting bad press due to the horror stories that came out during its production, Heaven's Gate would get its moment in the sun. On November 21st, in a special reserved performance engagement at the Plitz Century Plaza 1 and 2, United Artists presents a new film from the Academy Award-winning director of The Deer Hunter, Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate, rated R. Reserved performance tickets now on sale at the Plitz Century Plaza 1 and 2. The screening mentioned in that advertisement never took place. After terrible audience reactions and scathing reviews from critics, Michael Cimino publicly asked United Artists to pull the film from release so he could again recut the movie. Facing huge monetary losses, it was agreed that Heaven's Gate be yanked from theaters. A few months later, a two and a half hour cut was re-released into theaters. It didn't matter. By then, Heaven's Gate had made its way into the history books as the biggest flop in movie history. To avoid total bankruptcy, United Artists was sold by its parent company, Transamerica, and bought by MGM. In recent years, some film fans have given Heaven's Gate a second and sometimes more favorable look. It still stands, however, as a Hollywood cautionary tale of excess leading to total failure. The entire story of Heaven's Gate is a fascinating one. If you want to know more about it, there is a terrific documentary called Final Cut that can be found on YouTube. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And don't forget, coming in October, our four-week horror month with four episodes of the podcast, each one dealing with a different type of horror film. Don't forget to join us then. We'd like to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in the deep dive microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn, based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive Microcast is a production of Automaton Studios. 